Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Beyond the Meetings with Proverbs Financial. This is going to be our last episode for season one. So I first want to start off by just saying thank you for tapping in. You know, we're not the biggest podcast um, out there by far. I know there's a lot of podcasts out there. Um, it's not like we have thousands or even hundreds of listeners, but you know, whether it's one person who's listening consistently or, or a lot of people, I just sincerely want to say thank you because um, ultimately what I'm trying to use this platform for is the ability to spend additional time with you guys beyond the meeting so we can accelerate your journey to your financial goals and ultimately just financial independence. So um, again, I just thank you guys for tapping in and we're going to do a highlight reel from all 10 episodes that we've done. Um, and I'm just going to extract some of the most impactful points from each of those episodes. And so I'm excited to uh, recap the first season with you guys and uh, let's get it going. All right, everybody. Well, the first episode I want to recap is from, it's technically episode two. I'm not going to do a recap from episode one only because it was just like an intro episode. But episode two, the proverb for that episode is failing to plan is planning to fail. Let's listen in. You're only going to engage in financial planning if you have some sort of financial goal. And for majority of us, majority of Americans, our financial goal simply put, is to be financially independent. And what we mean by that is we want to reach a day where we don't need to work because we have to. We choose to work because we want to. Or another way to put it is we want to have enough income coming through our door where we no longer have to work for that income. <clears throat> All right, guys. Well, I hope you found that uh, snippet helpful. We're going to go ahead and just jump into episode three. And the proverb for this episode is, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. Let's do it. If you aim at nothing, you're going to hit it every time. So I want to give you guys something to aim towards. And so the four areas that basically everything that has to do with your finances, it boils down to these four areas are assets, liabilities, cash flow, and protection. Okay. And so... I'm going to try to paint this to the best of my ability um, in a visual, and I'm going to use a house as a as kind of like a visual aid to explain this. So if the whole goal is to build a financial house for yourself, right, just like a, a regular house, you have to build it the right way, right? And the foundation to your financial house is going to be your cash flow, right? You need a foundation when you're building a house because without that foundation, the home will never exist, right? And so... Without your cash flow, you don't have really anything to really start planning towards, right? So you need to have a strong idea of how to optimize your cash flow and have a strong understanding of what your cash flow is. Now, typically, most of us are working to create that cash flow, right? And then there's categories where you pay for your mandatory expenses, discretionary expenses, and you invest, and there's also, you know, taxes and, and all that. And we'll unpack cash flow strategies, you know, probably another episode. But basically, the foundation to your financial house is your cash flow. Okay. The assets to your financial house are obviously investments, right? And to put that in picture form for you, think of assets for your financial house as, you know, the appealing stuff, the stuff that people are attracted to. It could be the outside look of the home. It could be the, the furniture in the home. It could be that new kitchen that you just did. All of that stuff, most people are attracted to, just like in real estate, most people are attracted to that stuff. And 
in the financial planning world, most people are attracted to the asset side of stuff. That's like the appealing stuff, right? And you definitely need to dial that down. But again, that's only one of the four areas that you have to master, right? You also need to have a good understanding of liabilities, right? There's always a liability that comes along with having a house, maybe in the form of a mortgage, maybe in the form of financing that kitchen or maybe financing some furniture, right? You need to have an understanding of the liabilities that are associated to you building your financial home, right? Because you want to always have greater assets than you have liabilities and you want to try to mitigate liabilities. So again, liabilities are always going to be there. Maybe it's the form of taxes. Maybe it's the form of debt, right? Things like that. We need to get a hold of those financial liabilities for your financial house. And the financial roof over your head is protection. And again, you need to have a strong roof over your financial house because just like in a home, if you have you know this nice furniture and you have this new kitchen, if something were to happen, let's just say it starts raining or snowing, right? Without that roof, it all goes down the drain, right? Your investment in that couch or your investments in general are just going to go all down the drain, right? So you want to have a financial roof over your house and basically that's just protection. And again, each one of those four areas, there's a lot of layers to, right? And there's a lot of strategies to enhance all of those four areas. But my goal is to really help you guys identify that you need to just aim towards planning for those four areas. All right. Well, I hope you found that one impactful as well. So episode three, a lot of people really like this episode. And, um, you know, it's one of those things that I think is a helpful reminder for all of us because human nature uh, often gets in the, the way of us reaching our potential. So let's go ahead and listen into this episode where the proverb is, your potential does not lead to your success. As people get older, they realize how much potential they had. I always hear this all the time as I'm talking with people who are in their 60s, 55, you know, just as people are getting older and getting closer to retirement and have been working in the workforce for many years, they always say, gosh, I could have saved more. I spent my money on dumb stuff. And so I want to give you guys a statistic, share with you guys, is that the average retirement savings that a 65-year-old has currently is $426,000. Okay, So again, assuming you're a $100,000 a year income earner, for the next 35 years, you're going to make $6 bucks, And of that $6 bucks, you only capture $426,000. That would be brutal, right? And I know the numbers are going to change and you know, the, the average retirement amount for a 65-year-old is different because maybe they started earning $50,000 at 30 and their pay increased by 3% up until today. I get that. But let's, let's put this into perspective a little bit. If you were to spend 95% of what you earn over the next 35 years and you were to save 5% of whatever you earn, let's just say in a 401k, and you got a 7% interest rate, over the next 35 years, you would have over a million bucks in your retirement account. Okay, so that means you would have spent a million and you would have be able to retain a million of all that you've worked for. Now, that's you spending 95% of whatever you earn. So you only investing 5%, you should still easily have a million bucks by age 65 is where I'm, is where I'm getting at, right? And most people today... Their average retirement account is only 426000 Again, what does that say? People are just spending way more money than they make. And we see this all the time. People are in debt. And so it's just really important. It's really, really important to understand what your wealth building potential is. 
Okay, and it's simply, it's very simple to calculate. You just take your income that you're currently earning, add in a 3% increase in income every year up until age 60 or 65, however you want. And that number is your wealth building potential, right? That's how much you are going to earn. And then you have to start to think about how do you keep majority of that while maintaining a lifestyle that's important to you. All right, guys. Well, we're going to go ahead and jump into episode five. And the proverb for this episode is expect the best and plan for the worst. Whatever financial goal you have in mind that is earmarked with those future earnings that you're going to earn, what happens if you lose the ability to earn those dollars? What happens to your goals? They go down the drain. And the reason why I wanted to talk about this was because I recently experienced the loss of my family. And it was my uncle who I was close with, my family, we were all very close with, and he just passed away very unexpectedly. And, you know, when life throws you those curveballs, the month of August was just been a very difficult month for me personally with business. It was just really tough to get my mind, um, my mind in the game, knowing that my uncle passed away. It was just took me a lot to process. And, you know, when, when those types of things happen in life, and I'm not trying to be dramatic, but it could be anything in, in between from an unexpected loss of a family member to just losing your job, whatever. When those things happen in life, we still need money and we're still stressed out about money. And the prospect of worrying about money during a time when you're coping, maybe you lose a family member, right? That's the, that's the time you don't want to, you don't want to be thinking about money. You know, we're sitting at the mortuary and I'm watching my cousin look at, you know, the, the bill for the mortuary and we're talking about throwing the funeral and my uncle knew a lot of people. He was a really beloved guy in his community. And we're thinking, gosh, it's going to be a big party, right? We have to start thinking through all the financial decisions and, you know, the fact that my uncle did some planning, right? You know, he had life insurance in place. We, he had his retirement accounts set up properly. All those things, I promise you, you know, I wasn't the one making those decisions, but I was, I was in the mortuary. I was a part of just experiencing the, the bills actually coming across the table. I promise you, it's so much more of a relief to know that there's money that we can fall back on as a family during a time like this than not having money. I can't even imagine the stress we'd gone through. And I've been through an experience like that with my family where money was more of an issue from a loss. And where I'm getting at with all that is life happens, guys. And one of the biggest derailers of people's financial success is them failing to realize that life will happen and are they prepared? So I see it all the time. People are just planning for the best and they are saying, oh, I'm going to do this. I don't need to worry about this. You know, we'll talk to clients about life insurance and they just somehow think that it Life insurance doesn't pertain to them, but they have goals to send their kid to college. And their way of sending their kids to college is through working and earning an income, and they don't want to buy life insurance. That type of, it just doesn't, it doesn't add up, right? Life insurance is a way to replace some of your future earning potential. You know, disability income insurance, you know, protecting your paycheck if you're not able to work so that you can still reach your goals under any circumstance. And I've paid claims on disability before for clients. None of us can afford to take a drastic pay cut. So if you can't afford to take a drastic pay cut, how could you afford to not have insurance on your paycheck? That stuff just doesn't make sense to me. And you see people who think that they are going to reach their financial potential and they're just planning one way, expecting the world to just work out and that life isn't going to throw them any curveballs. And I think the biggest separation for success is expecting the best, but also planning for the worst. All right, guys. Well, 
now we're going to go ahead and jump into episode six. This was with my colleague Alfonso, and a lot of people really like this one as well because um, there's a lot going on in this world, and they found that some of the insight that Alfonso was able to share was um, pretty interesting. So we'll go ahead and uh, jump into that one. What it really boils down to is that the government owes way more than they're receiving. And what does that mean? Taxes are probably, we don't know for a fact, but like just doing the basic math, how are they going to service all their debt? Well, what options do they have? One of the big appealing options is just raise taxes, right? And then raising taxes for us who are just average citizens here in America, that could impact our retirement, right? That could impact our ability to be able to buy a home all these financial goals that are important for us to to achieve are going to meet the resistance of potential taxes, right? I would agree. And I think to add to that, just to put things in a little bit more perspective, what are taxes at today in comparison to how taxes have been in U.S. history? Taxes are the lowest that's ever been in U.S. history mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. And I guarantee you most people are thinking like, oh, I pay a lot of money into taxes right now. Yeah, a lot of people do think Yeah, that. they're like, I pay a lot in taxes. Mm-hmm. Well, the reality is, Compared to maybe 60 years ago, you're paying almost nothing compared to what was before. Mm-hmm. Now, I think the question that we always ask the people that we, we meet with, knowing these things, where do you think taxes are going to be like in the future? Knowing that the government's still taking on a deficit, the U.S. debt's ever increasing, and the taxes, we're at the lowest tax bracket that we've ever. Now, I always like to ask that question back to people. What do you think they say? That taxes are going to be probably going than, going up, yeah, yeah, they're going to be going up. So that's, I think that's why we are talking about <clears> this right now is to pose that question. Okay, if taxes are going to go up, and you know that, what are some things that you can do today so that you don't get affected by that? Yeah, and I think it's just the emphasis on what you can't control is taking advantage of growing your wealth in more tax advantageous ways. Simple as that. That's the only thing you can control, right? Because just to piggyback off of Alfonso's point, from 1944 to 1963, 94% was the highest tax bracket we had in America. 94%. That's keeping, well, it's, uh, that's not your uh, effective tax bracket. That's your marginal, which that's a whole separate thing. But 94%, that is crazy. That is crazy. 94%. All right, guys. Well, now let's move on to episode seven. Again, the proverb for episode seven as a recap is ownership over your actions and outcomes is the key to success. And in this episode, I talk about uh, just having an attitude of ownership, but also just ownership from a financial standpoint and how that can separate yourself uh, to create wealth. So here it is. It's pretty clear for me to see patterns where people who are wealthy and achieve all their financial goals versus people who don't. And one of the biggest drivers to people reaching their financial goals is this idea of ownership. And what do I mean about ownership? Obviously, I meant it in the beginning around your attitude and taking ownership over how you respond to things. But ownership also goes a step further. In the finance world, having ownership, also known as like equity, is a huge driver to people building wealth for themselves. Now, we know money is not the end goal for us. Some people might think it is, 
money is really just a tool to allow us to live the lifestyle that we want to live, become who we want to become without money being an obstacle. We just don't want money to be an obstacle for us to live in the life that we want to live, right? And becoming who we want to be. And so money really is just a tool. And so one of the key drivers to getting the most money for yourself is ownership, right? So I was thinking about this the other day and I was thinking, man, people, you know, they love real estate. Some people love businesses. Some people love the stock market. And you always hear this debate around which is better. And, you know, that debate will probably go on forever, just like the debate between Michael and LeBron and Kobe. Kobe's still my guy, uh, side note. (laughs) But that debate will go on for forever. And I think why people debate with such strong opinions about one asset being better than the other asset, whether it's real estate or the stock market or businesses, is because people get really good at deriving ownership or deriving the value of ownership and extracting that value. And so what I mean by that is equity. So for example, people aren't arguing that real estate is better than a business or the stock market. People are saying, I'm more comfortable increasing the value of a real estate property from my $100,000 investment to $200,000 where I'm able to profit $100,000. And my comfortability is strong in that. And so that's my bread and butter. And I'm going to do that all day. And that's going to build the most wealth for me. Right. But the only reason why real estate builds any wealth is because you have ownership over the property. If you don't have ownership, you know, when you're selling, um, it's really difficult to, you can't profit on anything if you don't have ownership over anything. Right. So having ownership is one of the key ingredients to building wealth in America, right? There's obviously other methods you can do to build wealth, but when you look at kind of the underlying theme of the wealthiest people, they're all owners of something, whether it's owner of real estate properties, whether it's an owner of a business and taking it public, whether it's owner of equities, which remember, stocks in the stock market is still just owning a a fraction of the company, right? And so I really would want to encourage you guys to really understand to not look at asset classes, real estate, businesses, stocks, all these different financial instruments or assets to compare one to the other. I think you should look at the ownership opportunities and your comfortability with that. All right. So as we move on to episode eight, episode eight is... um, The problem for episode eight is lose-lose is actually win-win when it comes to people's finances. They think if I lose, I'm going to lose here if I do this. So I just can't, I can't move towards a higher potential because of the lose-lose. But I would argue when you have the proper education and you're working with the proper professional, you should actually not see a lose-lose situation. You should find win-win situations in moments like that. And what I mean by that is a lot of people are unaware that there's actually assets that are paying really good interest right now that still have liquidity, right? That still has some safety baked in, right? So in that situation, it's a win-win. You can actually win on gaining more interest to keep up with inflation while still maintaining liquidity to have money to buy your home right now. Maybe you knew that, maybe you didn't, right? But that's the importance of having somebody as a soundboard to bounce these ideas that inevitably a lot of people think they're in a lose-lose situation when it comes to their finances. 
but the problem solving and the ever changing landscape of the financial industry with new financial products, interest rates, all these things constantly moving day in, day out, having someone who can keep tabs on all that for you makes a big difference. So you don't have to feel like you're stuck in a lose-lose situation. You don't have to feel like, well, I guess I'm not going to do anything because I'm going to lose anyways, right? Working with someone should help you understand that you can create win-win situations and win-win opportunities by understanding the lay of the land. All right, so now we are going to move on to episode nine. A penny saved is a penny earned. This is one of those proverbs that is super simple but very impactful. If you're using a hammer to uh, screw in a screw, it's probably not going to work out really well, right? The hammer is not the right tool. And I feel like a lot of people um, kind of have that approach with, with uh, their money, right? And so I think fundamentally the first thing to recognize with this proverb is the understanding that every time you save a penny, you're actually storing future labor. And what I mean by that is most of us, and this doesn't pertain to all of us, but most of us have to work to create income, right? The, the way that income is derived is through working and earning that income, right? Very few of us are in a place that they have, where we have enough assets that can produce income without us needing to work for it, right? A lot of us are still in that place where we got to work for it. So, if you are in a place where you still have to work for your income, every time you save a penny, that's like you saving that hour or that two hours that it took for you to create you know, that penny. Now, if you were <laughs> working for two hours just to make a penny, that'd be terrible, terrible uh, trade-off. But I think you guys understand the concept. All right, now we're going to go ahead and jump into episode 10. And this was with uh, my sister, who is also... Um, a financial professional with me and is helping me build the company. So I really enjoyed this one with her, this doing this session with her. And the proverb for this episode was information changes situation. Third question I have for you. Now you're a financial professional. You've been in the finance world for over a year. Um, you work with clients. You help support me and the growth of the company. What, what has changed for you in your mindset? Um, around what we do for, for people? Like, how is your mind... Sorry, I'll, I'll phrase that even better. How has your mindset changed on what we do for people being on the professional side of things? We do... I don't want to say we do a lot. We spend a lot of time to bring information to people, and it's a lot more behind the scenes than I realized. Mm. And so when it comes to us having an hour with a client and us being able to talk about three different things, we've gone to team meetings, we've gone to the drawing board, we've spent hours to even be able to minimize things down to three concepts or three easily digestible philosophies or things like that. And so I just never realized how much time people spend behind the scenes. To me, I thought when clients where when I was a client and people were meeting with me, it was like, oh, they it, it's a simple thing. And it's a lot more intricate in the financial world navigating something that's relevant to a client than just showing up and 
talking about the same concepts time after time. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, I appreciate, I appreciate being able to learn and bring things to the table during meetings. And as a client, I didn't realize how much thought process goes into just being in those conversations. Mm-hmm. All right. And then the most recent episode prior to this was episode 11. And uh, this was actually my father-in-law, who's a real estate professional who has been selling in Bakersfield for the past 30 years and is an extremely knowledgeable person in his industry when it comes to real estate. And uh, I think a lot of people uh, are going to like this snippet as well, because this is one of my favorite parts of this entire episode. Yeah, to land a deal does take focus, just not at the expense of the good advice that's being shared with you. Wow. That's yes. really good. To land a deal, it takes focus, but not at the expense of the good advice that's given. I like that. Yeah, that's Super. Great. You'll that's do great, great I'm sure. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so the last few questions I have for you, Mike, is yeah. um, tips, just for, uh, real estate tips, strategies, just, I don't know, some fun stuff maybe people don't know about or um, cool ideas uh, around real estate or just, I don't know, something that you think maybe the general public doesn't know about that would be interesting. Sure. Love that question. So let's go back to the scenario of you, you and Ellie owning five rental homes. Mm-hmm. And let's say they're right here in Herpine. So the first little tip, drive through the neighborhoods where you think you want to own the homes. Go in the morning early, go midday at lunch, go in the evening. See what the vibe is in the area. Does it feel like a happy, healthy neighborhood or not? Mm-hmm. Most people get that question answered when they do the driving, when they do the driving through. Mm-hmm. Driving through. That helps them see if that's a spot where they want to own rentals. A fun little thing to think of would be okay, you can pay a property manager to collect the rent each month for you. And most of the time, that's a good way to do it. What if your property manager, though, one day was not open and you needed to collect the rent? Do you feel comfortable pulling up to the house, hopping out of your car, knocking on the door, saying, hi, it's me, Greg, the landlord. I was just here to pick up the rent check. If you don't feel comfortable doing it, it's probably not a home you should own. Wow. Is that yeah. a good tip? Yeah, that's really good. Okay. Yeah, those are really good. Tip, really, really practical, too. Sure. So a tip number two would be, and this might be a little bit self-serving because I work as a realtor, and that is to introduce yourself to a couple of different realtors meet and talk with a couple of different ones to not only ask about good deals that are out there, but also ask, what are other buying trends that I should know about? Where are investment buyers buying homes and turning them into rentals? What are some neighborhoods to go see? What are some neighborhoods to stay away from? And then a great question for a realtor is to ask them, what are the top three best buys they've seen that day? If a realtor's a really question. good, 
They always have two to three really good buys. Wow. Okay, guys. Well, we've recapped the highlights from all of the episodes that we've done so far for this season. Again, thank you, guys. Um, We are extremely open to feedback. If there's anything that you want us to talk about or want us to expand on any further, please let us know. Again, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to um, have this platform to just share with you guys these strategies, ideas, um, and just have this dialogue with you guys. So again, thank you so much for your support. And I look forward to revamping, getting better as a podcaster and coming strong, stronger uh, in season two. So until next time, you guys have a, a great rest of your year of 2023. And I hope to uh, connect with you soon. Take care. This podcast is intended for general public use. By providing this content, Park Avenue Securities LLC and your financial representative are not undertaking to provide investment advice or make a recommendation for a specific individual or situation or otherwise to act in the capacity of a fiduciary. Gregory Montejo is a registered representative of Park Avenue Securities, LLC. LSJ2875 Michelle Drive, Suite 110 Irvine, California 92606. 909-399-1100. Securities products offered through PAS member FINRA SIPC, financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Proverbs Financial and Insurance Services is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. California insurance license number 0 k four nine two eight three. Two zero two three one six six five six three expiration eleven twenty five. This podcast is for information purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by PAS, Guardian, or Proverbs Financial, and opinions stated are their own. Guardian and its subsidiaries do not issue or advise with regard to real estate.